Have you ever seen the movie It Follows? It's kind of like this crappy horror movie from 2014. And it's about this supernatural force of evil that follows people around after they've had a sexual encounter with somebody else who's being followed by it. And it feels more like a movie that is not so thinly veiled as a PSA about sexually transmitted diseases. But for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to try and compare it more to anxiety and depression. Actually, you know what? Forget that movie. Let's talk about one of my actual favorite horror movies. And that movie is George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. And, and not that remake that they did a few years later. I mean, the remake was fine, but there was a problem with it. The zombies in that movie were super fast. And that's like specifically the thing that I like about the original Dawn of the Dead movies is that the zombies were slow. Actually, in all of George Romero's dead movies, the zombies are slow. And even in the popular AMC TV series, The Walking Dead, the zombies are slow. The concept of a slow impending disaster is a lot more fascinating than just like quick and fast, right? Because if something happens quick and fast, then you just get over it. There's something worse, though, about that dreadful feeling of like, knowing that something's coming after you and no matter how much distance you put between yourself and it it's eventually going to find you anyway i personally think that's the most relatable fear ever like we all have that fear to varying degrees but for some people like me that fear of impending disaster can be downright debilitating and I'm not sure exactly when it was that I first sort of felt that creeping fear. It definitely dates back to early childhood. And I wasn't exactly like aware of it at first. Like I didn't just wake up one morning and be like, oh, I have an anxiety problem and I'm prone to panic attacks. But that's kind of what a lot of the horror in these old horror movies remind me of are panic attacks, that, that slow building fear that something chasing after you feeling. And interestingly enough, one of my favorite albums of all time, which is Liberate Tex and Ferris by Zeo. Hopefully I said that the right way. I'm just going to call it Liberate for the rest of this episode, so I hope hope everybody's okay with that. Because this is an album that sort of builds on itself. It's based on this idea of impending creeping fear. I mean, I don't know if that's what the original artistic intent was, but this record builds and builds and builds and builds and feels very much like leading up to a panic attack. As a lot of you know, I grew up in a very conservative Christian background where I was continually exposed to ideas like death, decay, judgment, hell, famine, and moral failure. And I asked the question in my mortification episode earlier this season whether or not I thought that my fascination with those topics came from some kind of rebellion against religion or if my interests just were what they were, right? Maybe they weren't stemmed from anything. But in typical me fashion, I didn't give a definitive answer. But I did save another part of that equation just for this episode. So one of the weird side effects to always being afraid all the time is that you're going to start developing a strange kind of anxiety. The first time I remember having an anxiety attack was sometime in the late 90s. And my parents used to go out pretty late when I was a kid. We were still somewhat religious at the time, so I don't really know what adult Christian parents are out doing at late hours of the night. 
But I remember they used to be gone a long time, and they would leave my older sister at home to watch us younger kids. And usually on a night like that, my sister and I would stay up pretty late watching TV. And one particular night, we were watching a movie called Tales from the Dark Side. And it was this, like, horror story compilation, kind of like the movie Freak Show. The movie consisted of several, like, unrelated short horror stories. I mean, and the overall presentation was pretty cheesy looking. I mean, if if I'm watching it now. But as a kid, it was, like, super scary. And I'm going to tell this story as I remember it, but I couldn't actually find a copy of the movie to watch before recording this episode, so if I get some of the details wrong, um, I'm sorry. The last story in particular was about this guy who's walking late one night, and he's confronted by this, like, large gargoyle demon-type creature, and the guy is, like, scared for his life, and he starts, like, running because he sees something, like, move overhead, and then the, like, gargoyle demon thing pops out in front of him, and he just stops dead in his tracks, and the demon tells him that he will let him go as long as he never tells anybody what he saw. The guy promises not to tell the demon and the demon lets him go. But on that same night, he runs into this woman and they start talking and they fall in love. And the story after that is kind of just about their life together. And they eventually get married and have a couple of kids and it's years later, but he still seems very haunted every night by this experience. All these years later, he decides to tell her what happened the night they met, and he ends up telling her about the demon. And as soon as he tells her that, well, I mean, you guys know where this is going. She turns into the demon, and she kills him. And the last thing that he sees before he dies is his two children who have also morphed into demons. Like, holy shit, man. That is some terrifying stuff for a little kid to be watching. And that was a horrifying episode all on its own. I remember going to bed that night more nervous than I'd ever been. And after falling asleep, I must have had a dream about it. Like that image of the kids turning into demons. Because I woke up really fast and realized immediately that my chest was burning. It was on fire. I felt like somebody was stabbing me in different places in my chest. Just nonstop over and over and over again. And I actually thought for a minute that I was being attacked in the dark, but no, nobody was there. I was, I was all by myself. That's, that's important later. I tried to scream, but no sound had come out. I, I couldn't get a breath or make any noise. I rolled out of my bed and lurched into my parents' room, and they heard me stumbling around and, like, gasping for breath. So, of course, they rushed to me, and I'm trying to explain to them what's wrong, but I'm still having these violent chest pains, and I couldn't get my words out. And I ended up just stooping there on the floor with one hand on my chest and the other one on the side of my head. And I sat there and experienced that for well over an hour before I was able to calm down. And I wouldn't learn the word panic attack until years and years later. And I think my parents just chalked it up to being, like, triggered by watching a scary movie late at night. And obviously my sister got a verbal lashing from my parents about watching that kind of movie with her kid brother really late at night but it seemed to them like it was only brought on by that event and it was nothing to worry about however the thing that everybody seemed to miss about that whole situation was that it wasn't just a childlike fear of demons and gargoyle monsters that made me so scared it's not what put me in that state of panic 
it was the ending. It was the concept of the ending where years later, a man shares his fears with his wife in a safe place. And even though he was distanced from the situation, that horror still caught up with him. It was waiting for him. It was always there, always present and lurking in the shadows. And what may have seemed like a one-off event to my parents turned out to actually be a disorder that I had because it kept happening. When I was in school as a kid, it would happen. If I had to speak in front of other kids, it would happen like in the middle of me giving like a book report or just playing with other kids. There were times where I would just absolutely shut down and be non-functional for, for extended periods of time. And that wasn't like a fear of like other people or a fear of social situations. The only fear I had of social situations was that it was going to happen. It wasn't because I was like afraid of what to say. Okay, so cool story, Dan, but what does that have to do with Liberate by Zayo? Well, as these things usually go, it turns out it had everything to do with it. I first heard Liberate by Zayo back when I was in high school, and it was like one of the first three albums I bought from Zayo. I heard Pray to Chaos first and then kind of worked my way back. And Liberate's probably the one that connected with me the most. And if you remember from my Dead Poetic episode, I talked about how I was like trying at that time to fit in really well with this Christian group of kids at my school. And so during that time, I consumed like a lot of Christian media, like Christian books, Christian movies, and of course, Christian music, but not like normal Christian music, right? Like not, not like worship songs and things like that. No, of course it was metal, right? Because like with my blood and guts and hell and judgment childhood combined with my fascination with horror films and overall interest in dark and macabre topics, I was obviously interested in metal music. But since I had to fit in with this group of friends, I had to be limited mostly to Christian metal music. So this is how somebody becomes exposed to a band like Zayo in the early 2000s. Ironically, it was that same big sister who showed me Tales from the Dark Side a few years later who ordered this CD off eBay for me. I mean, it was a few years old by then and was really only available secondhand, but she ordered this CD and Splinter Shards by Zayo at my request. And I loved both of them, but I loved this one the most. And I remember getting the package in the mail and ripping open the crappy yellow bubble mailer and being greeted by a close-up of Jesse Smith's heavily makeuped face. With that Z-A-O coming out of his eye, it's instantly striking. And it wasn't long before I had it out of the plastic wrap and it flipped open the liner notes. And there I was hit with all kinds of concepts all at once. And I enjoyed the references to Dante's Inferno and the circles of hell and the way the songs were arranged in a way to sort of coincide with each circle of hell. And I love the silver and black and red letter print on it. It's just awesome. All the pictures of the band members, all the lyrics laid out in front of me. And I love the black disc and the red Z and a circle printed on the back of the case. 
it was just cool. It was the whole package, and it was it's still striking to this day. Like even now, whenever I see it on my CD shelf, I'll pick it up and kind of thumb through it and see all the cool stuff that's going on, just in that little you know maybe five or six panel liner note. And it is such an understatement to say that this record became literally everything to me at this point in my development. And in this episode, I hope I'm able to properly communicate why that was. And to help illustrate a complete picture, I called up Scott Mellinger of Sayo to talk through it with me. I'm going to throw some some clips of things that he thinks about certain songs and sort of the themes on this record. Yeah, it's it's to me there's a language that people that deal with this kind of thing just they they gravitate towards and they understand, you know. Dan uses key terms and all of us have that understanding. Like all of us deal with it, all of us, you know, I deal with it all all the time. Dan deals with I I know everybody in the band has has these issues. Um just that feeling of not being good enough. Um I mean, I go to shows now and I walk in and I'm already immediately in a panic because I just, why, you know, who, what, what band member is going to come up and be a dick to me? Like, is yeah. there, you know, is there like, am I going to, you know, look like an idiot when I'm on stage? Like all these different things. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't belong here. I'm, I should be home. <laughs> like I don't, yeah. I feel like that kind of thing all the time. Anywhere I go, I already like, I'm looking for the exit. I'm looking for, you know, like, and then, like, you overcompensate all that stuff because then you're, like, way – I try to talk to everybody and be super talkative because then that kind of can hide all of the anxieties and panic I feel and people, you know, like all yeah. these – oh, you're you're pretty extroverted. Yeah, I'm extroverted because, like, if you actually knew what my brain was saying when I'm talking to you, the, you wouldn't even, you know. So well, I think that our band kind of thrives in the language of, of anxiety and panic and fear and and sadness and loss and you know so it is pretty amazing to know that it like you know all these things that that are all in in us that we you know that there are other people that have all that same feeling that's it you know you that group think like that Mm -hmm. being part of something well it's it is nice to know that there are people that have those same feelings and it's really really unbelievable to understand to know that that sometimes our songs can help those people because that's what they do for us. So So this record starts off in the most unassuming way possible. It's a dark instrumental that they creatively named Intro. If I had a nickel for every single time I've seen the beginning of a CD just start with a song called Intro, I mean, let's be honest, I'd probably only have like maybe like 40 or $45. But still, it's that, that's still a lot of nickels. I think what caught me off guard the most was how this song is so dreary at first, but then it kind of slowly starts building into something. 
It's a little bit unnerving. The intensity starts to build up slowly, a lot like a panic attack, in, in case you guys still haven't been able to see where I'm going with this. It's the literal sound of impending disaster and anxiety. And I've talked a lot this season about how the human brain rewards pattern recognition. And I think what's interesting about this introduction in particular is that my brain recognized that pattern from my own experiences with anxiety. And it kind of imprinted those memories into the song. And that's not to say that I have a panic attack every time I listen to this record, but there is a strange way my brain recognizes it as like more than just notes that I'm hearing. It's a little bit hard to explain, but it's a relatability I have to this piece of audio that I don't typically experience when listening to other records. And it remains truly unique to just this album. Oh man, and the way the song transitions into Savannah is the soundtrack to my high school years. Once the intro is built to its peak of intensity, a clip from the movie Event Horizon plays, and you hear Sam Neill utter the phrase, you know nothing. Hell is only a word. Reality is much, much worse. And he's like, let me show you. And then the song kicks in and there's like screams of horror going on in the background. And the song comes in with the type of aggression and intensity that has made Zayo my favorite band all these years later. Savannah is just a swirling flurry of drums, feedback, dissonance, scraping, sludgy riffs. And of course, you have Dan's serpentine growled chainsaw sounding vocals. And what is he growling about? He's growling about a person breaking down. After years of performing like a machine, and this, this breakdown takes place in front of a bunch of onlookers. I mean, recent events in my own life aside, that shit is super relatable. We all have a breaking point, no matter how good we are at something. You have to take time for yourself. If you spend your whole life trying to accomplish a goal and you don't take time to take care of you, then that machine's going to break down. And that goal that you were trying to accomplish is going to remain unaccomplished. Is unaccomplished a word? The lyrics just cut, man, like a buzz. So, like, the lyrics cut with the same intensity that the music and vocals do. We could not believe the machine was alive, but we saw it bleed. And I think the lyrics are what has always hooked me to Zayo. The music's obviously incredible to me, but combine the incredible music with lyrics that absolutely cut to the heart of what I'm feeling. It's this amazing moment when you're listening to a record, but you also feel heard, right? Like I joke about it all the time. This sounds how I feel. And after you're done digesting all of what Intro and Savannah have, you go into Autopsy. And Autopsy is a fast-paced song that deals lyrically with trying to find that safe place to rest, right? It says, someone take the pain away. Someone fix my broken heart. Someone fill up my void. Are you that someone? Well, spoilers, usually usually they're not, right? And it, to me, it's about that place you go that'll temporarily keep that stalking horror or anxiety at bay for just a few minutes so that you can keep doing the thing that you need to do, right? So that you can keep living your life. And it's it's about like not feeling safe at all. You know, not being able to rest. People always talk about fight or flight, but when you have extreme anxiety, it's always flight. You're always running from something because the second you let your guard down, 
that thing that you're running from, it's going to pop out and get you. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat down to record a podcast or play a live show or even just talk to an old friend that I haven't seen in years only to have this like rear its ugly head and kind of pop up again. Like no place is safe. I remember one time I was up on stage with End of Destiny about to play a show. I got about a halfway through my set and then suddenly that feeling of a knife in my chest and shortness of breath and being unable to finish playing. Like everything just hit me at once and I'm standing in front of a crowd of onlookers. And everybody thought I was like dying or having a heart attack. And people were like, oh, we should call an ambulance. We should call an ambulance. But like, I know what's going on. Like, I know that I'm just having a panic attack, but I'm afraid to tell anybody that because of misconceptions that people have about mental health and misconceptions they have about anxiety and panic attacks and things like that. So you don't want to tell anybody because they're going to assume that it's all happening in your head and you're afraid they're not going to take you seriously, which makes you want to keep it a secret, which makes you feel alone. It makes you feel isolated and you want everybody to understand what you're going through, but you feel like nobody's going to really understand it. And that's why it's so important to me that I got to hear Dan talk about it on this album, because then it gave me the knowledge that it wasn't happening to just me, but that it was happening to at least one other person in the world. Speaking of being afraid of not being believed and not telling people what I'm going through, that goes into the ghost psalm. In the ghost psalm, he says, realization comes through reaping, reality contained in quiet. My companions are walking corpses. I am buried with their words. And the visual painted by these lyrics about a ghost without a grave and floating in the void is very on point. Because at that time I was experiencing all this stress and anxiety especially when I was younger, I was surrounded by a group of people that were very faith-based. You know, it was like a, a, a youth group type of situation. And so I'm trying to fit in and succeed in this social group. And although some of the other kids in the group would speak to things that they were struggling with, the answer was always the same. Yo, dude, just, just pray about it. You got to pray more. You got to have more faith. You got to surround yourself with scripture and surround yourself with godly things. And so at the time I did that, like I surrounded myself with positive, you know, scriptural things, things that I thought were going to, you know, help me not focus on the problems that I had. But man, no matter how many godly things I surrounded myself with, this fear of the impending attack remained. It was always there ready to strike at the worst possible moment. They just didn't get it after a while and would just encourage me to pray more. So I hid it from people. And I hid it from people so well that people started describing me as social and outgoing and all of these weird things that don't really describe me, but I ran with it anyway because it made me look better. And when I got older and was working full-time, I had to come up with really creative ways to hide it. I mean, I did this physical labor-based outdoor job. Like, I was a cable guy. 
And these kinds of guys that I worked with were not really interested in hearing about me, an adult man, having mental health issues. I mean, even if they did know, like, it didn't help me if, like, I was having a panic attack and I couldn't come to work. Or what happens whenever I have an attack when I'm at work and I have to stop, you know, but I'm, like, in front of strangers. You know, and, and the fear of that potentially happening made it crippling for me to get out of bed and go to work in the morning. But I can't just call up my boss and say, hey, bro, I'm having a panic attack or whatever, because he's going to say the thing that people always say. Well, you can't miss work because your feelings are hurt, right? You know, you're only imagining the pain. It's all in your head, man. Just chill out. I had a guy offer me Adderall one time. He was like, yeah, just take this and it'll be it'll be fine. Uh, thankfully, I didn't do that because it seems like Adderall would have just like made it worse. But, you know. That's just uh, that's just the workman's advice for you, right? But uh, this song, the Ghost Psalm, definitely made me feel heard again. As far as the like, nobody really understands this unless they're experiencing it themselves. And obviously, the song "Desire the End." I'm not going to get too deep into that one, but it is the only conclusion that you can come to when you're living in perpetual fear like that. And at the end of the song, there's this really really cool movie clip that perfectly captures what it's like trying to communicate with somebody who is having a panic attack like that and the song dark cold sound just straight up spelled it all out for me this was the song that really put words into what i was feeling and what i'm describing here and at the time of hearing the song i hadn't ever really put a good descriptor on it but i'm just gonna straight up read the lyrics here a dark cold sound tears at the life i'm given ignite the vision the vision that brought cold wind against my childhood soul. The root of unspoken fear. The root that grows deep in my heart. A dark cold sound tears at my life over and over. The time when rest is as distant as childhood. When I knew peace. The time when I was happy. Before it came after me. It's coming after me. A dark cold sound. Definitely speaks for itself. Because that is the unseen struggle that I've basically lived with my whole life. It sucked back then when I was a kid, and it still sucks now. But I think I've hammered this point home enough throughout this episode. But it is still just wild to me that this record even exists. Like, it's really cool when you feel like a record is speaking specifically to you and your struggles. And sometimes it can function as that safe place that you need. I want you to do the next thing. You know, I want right. you to keep going. Like, I don't want you to like be less. I want, I want things to happen because like that growth is like what makes your songs too. like learning and the growing and like things are always changing, but it is funny that a band like us, you know, a lot of those same ideas that existed back then, especially with Dan's lyrics, but lyrically and, and the whole feeling of that, of, of our band, I mean like depression, anxiety, you know, all these different things, loss, those things are always present. And if not more now than back then, because like even as the older you get, man, it's like, you know, it's a struggle to do, do every day. 
it's a struggle to do every day. So we need things like this to help us get through those time periods. So I do this because I have a struggle every day. There's always something that's going to pull me down into whatever depth that <laughs> exists. Yeah. And, and playing, writing, getting that out of you. Like that's, that's the whole thing. So like art, if anything, that's what Zeo is to me. Like it's, it's the thing we do to pull ourselves out of those depths. next song I want to focus on isn't necessarily related to the point of this episode being about anxiety, but hey, this is the season finale, baby. We're not going to leave anything out. And that song is Skin Like Winter. Because another huge theme of this podcast season was the degradation that I experienced over the last 10 years. You know, I've been talking a lot about how I had all these silent personal struggles that I had to deal with but also this immense pressure to keep going no matter what. And if not just for me, but for my family and others around me. And the only way I was able to do this was by straight up sidestepping and trying to ignore those issues instead of trying to work through them in a healthy way. And I relied heavily on excess amounts of food, alcohol, and nicotine, and even the podcast that I did before this one. You know, I relied on that heavily to to give me a good mental state of mind can find out more about what happened with that in the nf episode and these things sort of allowed me to survive to the next day but what happens the next day well the next day you're just back where you started and you have to just start it all over again and eventually that will wear you away as a person it'll wear away on you and this song talks about a person who has limitless potential as we all do but has built all of these walls out of bitterness disappointment and, and fear. And those things were just used as a defense mechanism to the point where those defense mechanisms actually caused me to lose that limitless potential that I had. You know, eventually you realize that the walls you built to keep yourself safe were causing more harm to you than what you were protecting yourself from. And that was me. And I'm thankful that I realized it before it was too late. And, you know, I remember one night I had, I had drank an excessive amount of alcohol, <laughs> and uh, I remember I was listening to this album and listening to this song, and the lyrics that really stood out to me were, beautiful child turning into stone, with your eyes so dim I shudder. Bitterness runs through your mind like small children. Confusion dances in the dusk of your mind. You exchanged your blessings for deception's goodnight kiss. Skin like winter, cherished one fading away. And I definitely felt that way. Like I realized that like something needed to change in order for me to to be able to start healthily taking on these sort of issues, these these personal demons. And I'm not the only person that has these problems, obviously, but it was really, really, really good to have a record that could sort of speak to that. And again, like I said earlier, make me feel heard. 
And the album ends with this seven-minute instrumental track called Man in Cage, Jack Wilson, which is named after a single line from the credits of Event Horizon. And this is a perfect ending to the album because there isn't really a positive resolution to this. The song just builds and builds and builds again, just like it did in intro at the beginning of the album. And I think that's the whole point because the root of anxiety is that it'll always be there. And unfortunately, it's something that a lot of us just have to live with every day. And I really wish there was something that I could say that would make the problem better for somebody that's hearing this and that suffers from the same things. But all I can really say is that I hear you and I do understand. And I hope that you don't suffer alone in this. And you should talk to other people about it. Regardless of what you think that they're going to think or say or feel, there are plenty of people out there that are experiencing these things just like you do. And so having somebody that understands what you're going through and is willing to listen and actually share their own coping strategies, that can actually be one step closer to having that safe place that we all desperately need. And that's what this record did for me. It made me feel heard when I needed to be heard, and I hope it does the same for you. Also, the the music's really cool, too. Scott, thank you, man, for for having this conversation. I know I called you out of the blue. I had intended on making this. I had intended on making this episode 100% solo, just, you know, 40 minutes, you know, of me talking about there. And I'm still going to do that because I'm mm-hmm. a selfish bastard like that. Uh, but, it, it, but it was like I was sitting there at work and I was just like, why wouldn't I just, why, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I call Scott and ask him like, some questions about their like get actual insight instead of it being one of those like yeah so here i'm just gonna sit here and tell you what i think for an hour Mm -hmm. (laughs) versus having you know a little bit more of an inside look so i appreciate you taking time out of your day off to talk and um, um you know i'm happy to do it and i think too as much as talking to me and getting insight for me like i think where you're going and what you're gonna talk about with your personal situations of listening to this is, I mean, it's exactly fits why we did it and our, our whole insight, you know, like I feel like the things that you battle through and the things that you're battling and having those records, listen to them. Like, like we said earlier, I feel like, you know, we're all in that same world and we all speak the language of, of anxiety, depression. And um, so it's cool to have that insight on this too.
And that wraps up the season finale of season one of DFT's Dungeon. I just want to thank Scott Mellinger for sitting down and talking to me about this album and sharing his memories and insights of that time period. Now, obviously, I only use small snippets from our conversation in this episode because, you know, it fits my narrative better or whatever. But in the spirit of it being a season finale, once you're done listening to this, go check out episode 20.5, which is the entire interview of everything that we talked about in context. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to that. And I also want to take this time out to thank all of the people who have listened to this new podcast this season. Without a lot of your guys' personal support and encouragement, I would have never made it to 20 episodes. And so some people that I want to shout out in particular are Brian Patton from the As the Story Grows podcast, Dewey Halpis of the Peer Pleasure podcast, Travis Turner, formerly of As the Story Grows podcast, Matt Ellis of A Hope for Home, Matt Nas from the Roach Coach podcast, Josiah Heiberg, Buddy Reno, John Beatty of the Brutally Speaking podcast, Rance Denton of the Quarantine Book Club podcast, Lance Alligood, the king of metal, Kyle Stratton, and Micah Rosenbarker. And of course, the most important shout out for this episode is to my wife, Melanie Terry. Without your support, none of this would be possible. And my name, in case you didn't know, is Daniel Terry, and every episode this season was written, recorded, edited, and produced by me in my dungeon studio. And as discussed before, this marks the end of season one of the podcast. After this episode drops on December 4th, I'll be taking a six-week break, and I'll return with episode one of season two on January 22nd of 2023. If this is your first episode of the podcast, make sure to go back and check out, you know, the other 19 episodes that, that I did and let me know whether you like them or not. If you do like them, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss new episodes when they come out and maybe even consider leaving it a review on your favorite podcasting app. And for those of you that want to support the podcast financially, I do have a Patreon set up and uh, I'll put a link in the show notes of this episode to that. On Patreon, you get access to behind-the-scenes content as well as early access to episodes before they post to the public. And if you guys want to get a hold of me directly, you can send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com. And despite me being on a podcast break, I'll still be very active on the podcast Discord server. So if you guys want to hang out with fellow listeners and share memes and talk about music, that is the best place to do it. I'll have a link in the show notes of this episode that will take you to our server. And I'll also include links to all my various social media pages. Guys, thanks again so much. I can't wait to see you all again next season. I won't.